The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. Hello, I'm Kevin Miller. In this episode, selling when they say no. You've got a product or service that can help someone. You're talking with them about it right now. You know it would benefit them and you know what you have is the best there is to offer, but they decline. The person says no. Well, Zig Ziglar gives us a three and a half minute message at the top of this show with an important reality. And it's this, the prospect, that person who said no, is not going to change their mind. You had to hear that again. You are not supposed to convince them that they are wrong. They made a decision about what you're offering and said no. And Zig says it's hopeless to try and change their mind. However, what he reveals is they said no to one issue regarding your product. And as you're going to hear Tom Ziegler uh, discuss in this show, it's for one of five reasons, which means you have four other reasons to discuss with them. Uh, it's this is a show that we talked about on Facebook. I actually asked the question with what you have to sell for those who are selling a product or service. What is the most common objection or challenge that you deal with? And we use the comments as a guide to fully unpack the issue. Well, real quick, we're going to let you know what topics we have on my other two podcasts, alert you to some relevant resources. Then I'm going to queue up Zig and follow with a powerful message on sales with Ziggler CEO and my dear friend, Tom Ziggler. When your prospect says no, the reason is most often because they do not know enough to say yes. There is a method that will allow you to discover what additional information is needed to close the sale. I call this concept the Q-U-I-E-T method for overcoming objections and closing more sales more often. The next portion of this program is designed to help you overcome no by placing prospects in the no. Closing more sales more often. A Q-U-I-E-T method for overcoming objections. The person selling elephants gets three basic objections. Where does that thing sleep? What does that thing eat? And who is the vice president in charge of cleaning? Now, you may not be in the business of selling elephants, but all sales professionals deal with questions and objections. Some fear that these questions and objections lead the prospects toward the dreaded no response when attempting to close the sale. Actually, objections are our best friends. This may surprise some of you, but once your prospect says no, they're not going to change their mind and buy from you. Sales veterans will often tell you that the majority of their sales are made after the prospect says no, and earlier I shared some statistics about 60% of the sales occurring after the prospect has said no five times. However, I stand by my statement that your prospects are not going to change their mind and buy from you. Your prospects, however, will make a new decision based on additional information. You see, when the prospect says no, the successful sales professional understands that the no must mean the prospect doesn't know enough 
to make the right decision. We never argue with a prospect. We simply understand that we haven't finished our job and accept the responsibility for going back and providing the information needed. With additional information, they will know enough to make a new and favorable decision. Let's look at a formula which will allow you to deal with real objections and handle them in an efficient and effective way so you can close more sales more often. When objections occur, the professional salesperson will get Q-U-I-E-T. Each letter in our formula stands for a word that will allow you to help our prospects gather enough information to overcome their objections. When you get an objection, you pause, think, Q-U-I-E-T, and then begin with a question. You must ask questions so that you may understand the objection. Once you understand the objection, then you may identify the objection. To identify the proper objection and not be fooled by a false objection, you must empathize with the prospect. If you empathize instead of sympathizing with the prospect, you are ready to test the objection. When you test the objection and prove it real, you can eliminate the prospect's concerns and dramatically improve your chances of making the sale. Well, yeah, Tom, this issue of sales and specifically of somebody saying no. So you pitch your product, you pitch your service, and they say, ah, not today, not now, or no, whatever. And him saying that they will not change their mind. I, that's why we're doing this show. That's why I caught on to it because I believe most people think, okay, if you're going to do all the sales finagling stuff, you are there to convince them and get them to change their mind. And while that may be the case overall, not on that one specific issue, I've been in sales a long time and that's still just such an uncommon, I think unknown perspective. And it really feels a lot better. I'm not trying to manipulate them into changing their mind. I'm saying, okay, I got it. That's where they're, they're saying no on. Let's show them more information, right? In essence. Absolutely. Uh, you know, people, one of the sayings that we say is people don't like to be sold, but they love help buying. Yes. And so it starts with your, you've got to have a servant approach, a servant's heart. How do you serve them? And that starts with understanding their needs. What it is, what is it they're looking for? <clears throat> and so when you understand what they need and your motive, motivation, your motive is to serve them and provide value and to fulfill that need, that's when you get put in a strong position. And that's, that's where whether they say yes or no end up, or end up doing business with you or not, uh, you've still laid the foundation for, hey, there's another time, another opportunity we can still potentially work together if your purpose is to solve a problem and serve their need. Well, so one of the first comments we got right here is from Eric Castlehorse, and he says that the most common objection that he gets with his product is price. But he says, that's okay. They're the wrong person for my service. And I would want to say, hold, hold on now. Hold on. I think Zig would say, hold on. Uh, that doesn't mean that they said no to the price. What are they really saying no to, though? And I would say they're saying no to the value. Obviously, if the value is there, they would pay the price. So their perceived value is off. There's where we need to help. Is that fair? 
Yeah, so in their mind, the price of the good or service isn't worth the value that they're going to receive in that. And gosh, we've, we've done so much development and training on this. And so if you know it is a fit for your prospects, right, that what you're, what you're presenting to them is a solution that's going to make them happy, the value is there, then you've got to step back and go, hey, did I understand all the needs? Did I clearly identify the benefits of what this will do? Did I ask the questions to see exactly what it is? And then you then once you can say yes to all that, then then the then the sales opportunity really begins. Uh, one of the things that Dad always talked about, and this is in the book Secrets of Closing the Sale, is he talked about the difference between price and cost. Right. Right. Price is a one-time thing. Cost is a lifetime thing. And I know that story well. It's about you and your bike. Yeah. So we, uh, I was just learning how to ride a bike. And, uh, so Kevin, we probably went through similar experiences. Once yep. you figured out that you liked the bike, you were all in the bike, right? I mean, you, it was like, it just dominated your thoughts. It was so a, I learned it, how to ride. It was a red line. I mean, it doesn't get any better. I know. Well, you started high end. I started with whatever the, uh, six year old Sears model was. Right. Right. right? And, uh, so, uh, dad said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get you a Sears model. And I, and I don't remember the numbers. It's all detailed in the, in some of our programs, but back then. And so, you know, we're talking almost 50 years ago because I'm 55. Now uh, it was like 40 bucks yeah. for this bike. And within a month, the sprocket system had to be replaced and they fixed it for free. And then within another month, the handlebar broke off and they fixed it for free. And then within another month, uh, something else went wrong. I think it had to do with the fork on the front. Uh, we had to pay for that one and it was like $6. And at the end of six months, dad had been back to the Sears place like six or seven times and had spent over $60 on it, a $40 bike and all that time. And so he, he said, you know what? We're not fixing this again. We're going to Swin, mm -hmm. which was the big deal. This is before the BMX and the red well, line. And my first bike was a Schwinn. I was talking about the one I pined after, but the first bike was a Schwinn, absolutely. Yeah, so we go to Swin, and uh, we bought that. And I think it was like $80. It was like twice as much. And I think the only thing that we ever replaced on it was tires. Mm -hmm. Now we upgraded some stuff because I wanted to be cooler, but not because any of it was bad. And so the, the first bike ended up costing in six months, the cost of that bike kept going up and up and up and up. The, the investment in the higher one that the front end was twice as much I was still riding that bike when I was 17 or 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Just um, amazing uh, how long that, and the bike was still good. It weighed, it was a tank, uh, you know, it was, it was a, just a durable bike. And so that's one of the things that in the sales process, we have to, we have to explain the difference between what you offer and what somebody else offers because they get very confused. What's the, you know, the price is too high. Wait, are we talking about price or are we talking about cost? 
it, you know, that's just the way it is. Well, and, and I'm going to say most of the people listening to this, that you have a product or service that I'm going to say is in the premium market. Uh, I doubt anybody is here. Ho I, I hope and, and I expect that for the most part, nobody's here selling products based on low cost commodities. And now you may. So maybe somebody has a steel manufacturing and they really can do that. And there's a relevant need for that. But for the most part, our small business owners here are selling quality and selling a premium service. So, yeah, if somebody balks on the price, it is a primary thing for all of us to be selling a superior premium product, but we have to show the value. And Tom, I, mean, I definitely, I'm attuned to that in my own purchasing. And there are some things I am buying a good product. I buy good shoes. I just do. I like shoes that are going to last. And being a guy, we can wear the same shoe every day. So that matters. Uh, you know, my wife is happy to buy cheap shoes because she's going to wear them, you know, once a year sometimes uh, in the shoe realm. But, you know, good tires, I'm going to buy something premium. But there's plenty of things where I am, uh, I know I'm not going to use it that much. I just need something that'll work for a short period. I even had that with tools. Some of my tools, man, I've got the DeWalt, I've got the premium tools. Some of them, I, I'll pick up junk from the, you know, like a jigsaw. I use it once, twice, three times a year. I have two jigsaws that I bought for like five bucks each at different garage sales. I don't care. I think even that's relevant though. And that is coming back to what you said about ethical selling to understand what does a person need? Because there may be somebody and they don't need your premium product and you would do them a good service to say, you know what, for what you're going to do, I wouldn't pay this much for this product either. Go over here to Bob's warehouse and you can get it cheaper. You and I were just talking about supplements, Tom, and I'll be yeah, candid with everybody. We are going to be coming out with uh, our own supplement. I, I am through, through my, my true life uh, arena through our own supplements. And some of those, uh, when, you need, when you're gonna get a probiotic, you need a good probiotic. I mean, that's a top tier one. Fish oil, I think, is a top tier one. I think a multivitamin for the most part. But you get down in some of the other ones, vitamin D, vitamin C, they have a better shelf life, it's not that important. And we talked about, oh, should we just not sell those things and just say, look, just go get whatever's over at Walmart. It'll be fine. I think what we're going to do is have ours, but literally just cut down to where we may not make much of anything. But for the benefit of our customers, so they can get it all in one place. We're just not going to make that much anyways. What if we don't make anything? We just cover our cost. Well, we're at square, you know, we're at even to if we had sent somebody elsewhere anyways, we weren't going to make any money. So let's just not make any money on our own product. But, you know, again, going back and looking, what do we believe for the person? Because I do hear people a lot of times, Tom, and they are, they know they have a premium product. They know it's a better value overall, but they're so stuck on that. They won't listen and they won't listen to sometimes the reality is not everybody needs that premium of a product. It depends on your usage. If you have a bicycle that you're going to ride twice a year, I don't, I wouldn't spend what I spend on a bike that I'm going to take out on the hardest of the hard Rocky mountain, massive declines, you know, where you're riding the brakes, hydraulic brakes for half an hour going over rocks and roots and stuff. I, I, I I'm going to use mine a lot more. And so for me to sell you on folks, you got to have a high end Cannondale racing mountain bike. Like I do, that's relevant to very few people. Uh, so I, again, it comes back to understanding your person. So back to Eric's, maybe that is the wrong person. 
uh, who doesn't need that high end of a product or he needs to sell the value. And that's individual. Yeah, so let me, let me talk about, you've got to identify who your customer is. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our partnership with Howard Partridge and our coaching with small business owners, uh, we really advocate and recommend that all of our business owners, regardless of what business they're in, is that they they sell the experience. Yeah. And I'm going to use an example that we use in our in our workshops. And and I think this comes out of Joseph Michelli. He wrote the Starbucks experience. So it's all about coffee. Right. Uh, fantastic book. In fact, we need to get him on the podcast Okay. Uh, because he's got a new book coming out uh, at the end of the year. What, what's the name again? The book I'm talking about now is called The Starbucks Experience, which he wrote a number of years ago, but he's got a new book coming out. What, what was his name, though? Joseph Michelli. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So he's, he's dynamite. Uh, but basically, coffee, there's four, four stages of coffee. When you, when you first buy coffee, it's a commodity. And a commodity, they get one or two dollars a pound for it. And then they move it to packaging and, you know, they roast it and they put it in packaging. You go to the grocery store and then what do you spend? Anywhere from four bucks to 20 bucks for a 12 ounce package, right? It's not even in a 16 ounce, right? And so what are you doing then? Well, you're paying for the packaging. You're paying for the branding, well, then if you go to your local uh, diner, like a Denny's, what are you going to pay by, by the coffee, mm-hmm. uh, by the cup? You know, uh, $2.50 for a, for a bottomless cup? Well, how many cups can they make out of a, of a, a pound of coffee? At Denny's, they can make 60 to 90 cups. Yeah, because it's weak as tea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you go to, so, so you can see the margins keep getting better, right? Well, what are you buying at Denny's? You're buying service. So it goes commodity, then you're buying packaging, and then you're buying service. Well, when you go to Starbucks and pay as much as you want, what are you buying? You're buying experience. Absolutely. You're buying the atmosphere. You're buying, if you're a regular, you're, you're buying the fact that they call you out by name. You know, they've, they've, they've got their own language, and, and you know, it's... It's not as much as it used to be, but it used to be kind of a status thing. Hey, I went there, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And so what we recommend is that, you know, when he said, well, they're not the right customer, then I really love the idea because the money is made in the experience. Profitable business happens when you focus on the experience. And so whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, you can be a website consultant, you can be a clothes retailer, you can be whatever you want. If you focus on the experience and deliver extraordinary experience every time, a phenomenal experience every time, then you charge more. But why do you charge more? So that your per- your customer has peace of mind. They sleep good at night. They know that no matter what happens, you're going to make it right. They get the little bit of extra. Companies that Focus on price, you've already lost. Amazon and Walmart are going to kill you. Totally. Well, and when you say experience, Tom, I mean, I historically, I'm the kind of guy who's going to go with the boutique shop. You know, I'm not going with the big chain, I'm not going with the big corporation. That's usually my mentality. Except more and more, I do. I buy from Amazon, it's reliable. 
I know I'm going to get it delivered at a quick rate. I know the return policy is super easy and I am uh, focused enough on my own selfishness and self-desire that man, that's, that's really hard to get me to not go through them. Same thing with Starbucks. They're consistent. All the stuff that you said, when I walk in, they know my name. It's like going into Cheers. They know my order. I don't, I don't need mobile ordering. As soon as I walk in the door, they see me, they know what my order is and they take care of me. They're smiling. They're, you know, it's like uh, exactly what Chick-fil-A gets lauded for their customer service. And I don't even look, that's not true. As I said, I don't even look at the price. I do, because I'm sometimes ashamed about, I go in there for my $4.72 drink, and I think, my gosh, for double that, I can buy a whole bag, and how many cups can I get out of that? But there you go, and there's why they get, there's why they get my, wait, so again, when we're looking at price, you know, why are you premium? And thanks for pointing that, it's not just the product or service, so much of it is the delivery. You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode on selling when they say no. I've got some resources I think will be relevant for you. Then we address a response from a guy who sells to engineers and has a hard time getting past the gatekeepers, which in his case is the purchasing people in the company. But it gets Tom and I talking about this very real issue for so many of us where we can't go directly to the end user, the end recipient who really wants our product or service, but there is a gatekeeper in the way. You know, when you talk about price, Tom, uh, Brian Lynchard here, and he sparked a whole thread in this Facebook question. He said, I sell to engineers, mostly in factories and such. They want great service. So he's talking about the engineer, the end recipient. They want great service, quality, delivery, and relationships. But the purchasing people often get involved that they require three bids and they generally want the lowest price. Uh, there's where he, and that sparked, he and a couple other guys started talking about, you know, ways they can do it. It was a great discussion uh, amongst some guys who were in a similar industry. And I'm not going to go through the, the whole point, but there, right there, there comes into the issue of who are you ultimately selling to and how do you get through to them. Now, Tom, you have far more to say on this. I assume I don't know the whole corporate arena and with that, but I do know there's a lot of people and they know who their end recipient is in a given business. But what we're talking about here is in essence, a gatekeeper. So realizing that your first sell is to that gatekeeper or how can you circumvent them? That's about as far as I'll go. Cause again, I don't know the depths of an industry like that. You probably do more Tom. Yeah, and this is to, this is to know you've got to know your customer, who your target is, your avatar, uh, and you've got to know the answer to this question. Hey, w when something goes wrong, what happens? Right. And so, if you're selling to engineers and it's a critical component to a piece of equipment or machinery or a project, and the shipment gets delayed or the the part comes in and there's too many defects and it delays a multi-million dollar project by a day or two, there is a huge risk involved with saving a few pennies. And so you've got to know the consequences of what happens if it goes wrong. I remember when, we, when I got married, we bought a, we called it a condominium, but uh, Kevin, it was really a, a small one bedroom apartment that mm -hmm. they put condominium label on it. And we'd been there, it was brand new. We'd been there about two years and we come back and there's a note on our front door. We were upstairs apartment 
and they had come inside because our hot water heater had broken and flooded the downstairs apartment. So insurance covered everything. The plumber came out. I think our bill was like 150 bucks to cover the, the deductible. And I asked the plumber, I said, what happened here? And he said, well, whoever built this, this complex decided when they installed the hot water heaters that they would spend 89 cents on a PVC connector instead of what we recommend, which is brass, which was $2. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, there's about 200 units here. And they so they saved uh, about $250. And that was the $2,500 hot water leak is what that was when yeah. you looked at replacing the roof and repainting and all the different things that happened. So that's the difference between price and cost. And so you've got to know the negative. Now I'm going to go to the other side. So when somebody, and this is, this is the ultimate uh, answer to the question when you say to their prospect here, this is what it is. They look at it and they go, the price is too high. Okay. And you can only do this after you've established a relationship. You've talked about the qualifications of your business uh, you've got testimonials, you've got educational, you know, you've got the, the sheets on the wall that say you're a pro in this business, right? When they say the price is too high, you simply pause and you look them in the eye and you say, Mr. Prospect, our company decided 20 years ago, however old your company is, that we would rather explain the price one time rather than to apologize for poor quality and service over and over again. Yeah. And I bet you're glad we made that decision. Aren't you? Aren't you? Yes. <laughs> and so here's the key is in sales, you always, you always ask a question back because now it's in their court. Because now they can tell you, well, the reason I want this part is I'm putting it on, a, on an old boat and we're only going to use it for three more months and it's not even worth salvaging. Or they might turn around and say, wow, I never thought of it that way. That, that, that makes sense. What do you mean, poor quality and service? And then you can just simply ask them, uh, what happens if it breaks down out on the lake? Right? then they've got to answer that and they'll they'll do that so uh we had a company come out and they were looking at doing outdoor lighting on our house you know to make the house look great uh at night and in in the sales and i was speaking for their company or for an, an, a, a, an association or a group of uh, these outdoor lighting companies and i asked him i said what's your what's your greatest uh, objection he said price so i gave him that so two weeks later, when I'm speaking at their conference, uh, he, he, he comes to me when I arrive in the hotel and he runs up to me. He says, Tom, you're not going to believe it. I go, what? He goes, he goes I, I did a bid for an apartment or, yeah, for a uh, commercial uh, building, an apartment area. And it was a $65,000 bid for all these lights. And the property manager, who is usually not the final decision maker, right? They usually have to go to the ownership group and get approval. 
I gave him the quote and he said, the price is too high. And he said, I gave him back your, your, your thing, Mr. Prospect, our company decided 20 years ago. And he said, there was silence for about a minute, a long silence. And you never interrupt the silence. Okay. This is key to sales. You let them think the first one to talk is the buyer. The glorious pause. Yes, that's right. And he said, you know what? You're right. And so as the property manager, what what the we decided to explain the price one time rather than to apologize for poor quality and service. What the property manager did in his head is he was like, yeah, I'm going to get a call at two o'clock in the morning because the lights are off and the property and the property yes. owners out there and it's unsafe. And I'm going to have to round up a company who gave me the lowest price. And they're probably not going to be able to get out there the same day. And so for a little bit more money, they get peace of mind. They get, you know, all this, uh, you know, reinforced service and everything else. So that's why. And he said, we made the sale first time out of the gate, just using that one simple phrase. Well, and I'm I'm sitting here grabbing off the back because I wanted to hold it up. This book, folks, what Tom just said right there, Secrets of Closing the Sale. That, this is, again, I'm going to say it over and over, this is where sales is not manipulation. It's not getting people to do things that they don't want. It's helping somebody with an authentic value like what Tom just did. That was a benefit. That sale of lights was a benefit to that guy for so many years. And thank goodness the person selling them had read Secrets of Closing the Sale that heard this stuff so they could help them get something that would benefit them. So let's go down that. Let's keep going down that road, Tom, because this is another one, which I know is a consummate story that you have told uh, from your dad, from being with your dad at, it was Denny's or something like that about life insurance. So Janice here on the thread, she says uh, she sells life insurance and they always say they can't afford it. No, how, no matter how much I try to show there is a need uh, they, the, or, or that they just don't need it. Okay. So let's hit that one head up because, you know, we tend to think, oh, especially with a budget thing or, 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 or something selling to an individual that can't afford it. We think, you know, come on, everybody affords what they need, right? Everybody who says they can't afford it is walking around with an iPhone. That's a later model than mine is. I mean, come on. So that's how I tend to think, but let's say you've got the consummate Dave Ramsey couple. They have gotten out of debt. They have spent every penny down to zero. They're really being good stewards of their money. And they look at this life insurance. Let's really, let's literally use that as a product. They look at that and go, Oh my gosh, let's say what's, what's the average life insurance for, let's say somebody in their thirties these days, Tom, I don't even know, you know, for a decent 150 bucks or something a month. If you're getting term, it's not a lot. And of course, Dave's a big fan of term life insurance. Can we play with 150 bucks? Is that fair? Or is that too high? Uh, yeah, you can play with that. I mean, if it's a million get, dollar policy or something. Um, yeah, it's, it's if you're in good health in your 30s, it's not a lot of money. Okay, so let's say 100, but let's say it's 150 bucks. Let's say it's a lower income, you know, they're bringing in, I don't know, three grand a month, and they've got a mortgage, they've got a kid, and it, it is tight. Um, there's not an abundance, and they look at that and go, oh my gosh, it, the money is literally not there you know, at least as they have it. So they, they are legitimate and saying, I, we can't afford that. So let's say they see value, but they can't afford that. Now, again, you know, the, the issue then is showcasing that with life insurance, which I'm a believer in, 
I mean, I've known people, as you have, Tom, that have passed away, don't have life insurance, and it has devastated their family. Happens all the time to people of all age, I mean, not age ranges, um, uh, income levels as well. It's really something along with health insurance. I mean, you, you, you've got to have it. In our day and age, in our world, you pretty much need to have this. So how do you take somebody there and showcase them a value because you're talking about somebody, if they're going to afford it and they're not being frivolous with their money, something's going to have to give. And that's a big sell. They're going to have to give something up uh, to do that. But again, you know that this is, I mean, who doesn't need life insurance? If you're an average couple with a kid, not, especially if you're not, especially if you're not making great income, you've got to have it. If you're a guy and you're the primary income earner or the woman, either way, I mean, you've got to have this. So Tom hit, hit that one. Cause that's, that's, I mean, that's very legitimate. And so here's the foundation of this. You should be representing and selling something, whether you're the business owner or working for another company, whatever it is that you have a strong belief and moral conviction. In. in other words, you have to have the confidence to know that whoever buys this product or service, they are going to be delighted and served well. If, if, if that's not your conviction, if you're not sure you have a good product or service, if it's not really benefiting someone, then move on. Go find something that you can believe in. And the reason I say that is you have a moral obligation to be a professional, to show the benefits, and to help the, the person, to help them buy, to help them understand, here's what happens if you do, here's what could happen if you don't. Yep. So now I'm, I'm 27, 28 years old, and Dad and I are in Atlanta. Uh, he's just spoken at an event. I was there to sell product and to help out. It was a Friday night deal, if I remember right. Uh, we didn't have dinner because he was speaking right after dinner, so he didn't like to eat much. Um, and we got done about 9.30, and we're packing up the, the leftover product and boxes. And so uh, we're driving back to the hotel, and dad says to me, hey, do you want to grab a bite to eat? And, you know, I'm 28 years what old. What kid says that. no to that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, well, yeah. So we, as we get closer to the hotel, we pull off and there's a Denny's, right? And so it's 11 o'clock at night now, 10, 30, 11-ish. And we go in there and we, they seat us. And then our waitress comes up and she's a nice lady, um, you know, gray hair, between, you know, I couldn't tell if she was a, uh, you know, 65, 70, something like that. Southern, you know, very sweet. And she took our drink order and said, I'll be back for your, your main uh, uh, order when I bring your drinks. And as she walks off, dad leans into the table and he looks at me and he says, son, what a shame. An insurance man didn't do his job. And I said, Dad, I, you know, explain. I don't know what you mean. And he said, well, look at her. She's probably 70. It's Friday night. It's 11 o'clock at night. Do you think she is working Friday night at 11 at Denny's at 70 because she wants to or she has to? And I said, well, I would bet it's because she has to. And he said, yeah. And so I want you to think back 30 or 40 years ago, the odds are really good that an insurance salesperson presented an insurance policy to her and her husband and didn't make the sale. And because they didn't make the sale, 
That's why she's working at Denny's when she's 70. And boy, did that hit me, right? Because it changes, the, it raises the stakes. It gives you the moral. You see, dad said this, that selling is a transference of feeling. And so if you're selling insurance and you're working with a family of any age and you've got friends that you've been in the business a while, you've read about it and you know that tragedy is going to happen, right? We just don't know when. And, and it happens to young people and middle-aged and older people. And when it happens, you can either be protected and take care of those you love or the tragedy is just beginning, right? Because now everything changes. And so when you have that moral conviction, so now what you start doing is you start thinking, golly, if I was that family, knowing what I know, what would I want me to have, right? What would, what would I want me to have? And then when that moral, that selling, that transfer to feeling happens, that, that changes everything. So, and it's just the same way, you know, we work with a lot of service industries and there's a lot of upsells that go on in, in service, like, uh, you know, carpet protectorate and some things like that. And some of them aren't so good. Some of them are fantastic, right? If you have a fantastic upsell or additional thing that the client needs to consider, you have a moral obligation to share it with them. It's up to them to say no, right? It's their decision to say no. But if they say yes, and then the issue happens, guess what? You've saved them substantially more than they invested. And that's a good, that's a good thing. Totally. You know, we have a Ziggler listener. I wish I could pull up his name, but he testified once and one, it was one of our Q and A's that he responded to. Uh, it was in, in, in regards to somebody, you know, having a product or service and sales and his experience was as I think, boy, if I can remember correctly, it was like his father, something that died, didn't have insurance, devastated the family financially. He saw that happen today. He sells life insurance, like the world is on fire because he absolutely believes it. And so you mentioned the quote and Tom, I used to have it as the signature on my email uh, signature. And cause it's one of my favorite quotes by Zig Ziglar. If you believe your product or service can fulfill a true need, it's your moral obligation to sell it. And I have always, it's been a dear quote to me because I see so many people with products or service that they really believe in. They know they can help them, but they don't sell it with that intensity. Now that doesn't mean it's probably because they've been burned by a salesperson who was too pushy and all that. This is about caring, but to sell it with that emotion, that's the kind of person with a true experience, a life insurance person. I want the person whose life was devastated because their dad didn't have it selling to me, knowing that they're there to sell this to me. They would sell it to me if it cost them money, much less they made money. They so believe in it. Um, so it's just, yeah, this is, this is the spirit of selling that we're talking about. So another one here, Tom, Jennifer Meisel, she said, uh, often price is an issue, but the next or the next big issue is let me think about it in quotes. How often do you see that? So I'll tell you folks, if you're ever trying to sell me something and I say, let me think about it. The answer is no, but I really don't want to offend you. That's it. I, and I think for the most part, that's it. It's just a nice way of saying no. So, and I was taught, you know, maybe is, is the worst thing you want to come to a yes or a no. How many salespeople were out there and go, so today you talked to 10 people. How many did you sell? Man, I only, I didn't quite sell them. I got, I got six people who are really interested that are thinking about it. Those are no's. 
and we need to bring them to that. So to realize that I let me think about that's a nice no, but I mean, Tom, right there, you could do a whole sales show on maybe, and we see so many people who try to rest on maybe what was, what did, how did Zig treat maybe? Yeah. So, and this is what, this is in our own internal business, especially when uh, we're, we're dealing with uh, organizations that have more than one decision maker. There always has to be a sense of urgency in the offer. And the reason is, is it helps us understand yeses and nos and maybes. If there is no sense of urgency, and what is a sense of urgency? Uh, so we might, I like to create in a package and whatever we do that delivers an unbelievable experience. And I will package it up and we will say something like, uh, and we, we qualify early and we say, hey, when, when will this happen? Who are the decision makers? What's your time frame for making the decision? We get all that, you know, I know all that information before we say, hey, here's what we think is the solution for you. Here's the proposal. And we, we have all that in advance. And the proposal will say, uh, hey, you know what, based on your training and everything, we, if we get this kicked off and we put a date in there, and it could be the end of the month, the end of the week, whatever, based on what information they've given, we, you know, we can throw this in or we can, we can offer this extra uh, benefit to it. That takes a lot of the maybes out. We, and the reason we do that is because we know that our enemy isn't no. Our enemy is wait. Yeah. Right. Our enemy is wait. The world is so distracted. And so we've got to have a compelling reason to say yes. And so if they say, well, you know, I'm just not really sure, then I like, I like this question and I, and I do a flip on this and we've covered it in other podcasts. Uh, but I say, okay, so you want to wait. Um, I understand. Uh, you know, earlier you said that your, your decision time frame was this, is that still true? You know, because maybe I don't have all the information, something changed. And they'll say, yeah, I just now that now they now they just kind of come back and, and, and you and you say you ask a question. So you just want to wait. And now they've got to explain why they want to wait. And that is the root. The waiting is not the issue. It's why they're waiting. That's the issue. So another way to get around that question is, okay, so uh, I understand you want to wait. What, you know, on a, what would make you, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, how close are you to saying yes today? And so they might say, well, I told you I want to wait, so I'm like an 8. Now, most people ask this question. They say, well, great, what, would I need to, what needs to happen to move you from an 8 to a 10? Right. Don't ask that question. There's a better. And I wish I could remember who I learned this from, because this is not a this is not a zig thing, but I love it. And they said, uh, instead of instead of saying, how do I move you from an eight to a ten? You just simply say. Wow, an eight. I didn't realize you were that close. Why are you why are you saying an eight? And then you let them talk. And they will sell themselves into it because now they're going to give you all the reasons why they want it. And they might come back and say, well, truth be told, I do want it as is, but it's just not in the budget. 
oh, well, did you know that there's several ways we can approach this? You know, and you might have a payment plan or, or maybe it's a package that has 10 things and you can take one thing out. There's all kinds of ways you can do it. Uh, one of our favorite ones is, did you know you could get it for free? And they're like, well, what do you mean? Well, we have a referral program. Do you know other people who like this? Because if you send somebody in, we, we pay a referral fee, mm -hmm. right? And so that opens up the door for a lot of other things. But, but when you allow them to start telling you why they want it, then you can reaffirm that and say, okay, so it sounds like you really do want it. So what's really holding you up? And then they'll explain that. Tom, I, you know, I want people to hear, I, I feel like we're in a growth, that sales to some degree, not to some degree, we know this sales in a lot of degrees is harder today than it ever was because we're exposed to so much. So I think that's fair to say that today it's harder just by proxy because we have so many offers. We have so much availability, anything we're going to buy, we can research ad nauseum. We're always one, or maybe there's a better, better deal out there. And most of us, and I'm going to put me at top of the list, but most of us, I'm just, I just don't want to hassle with it. It's just a hassle. Even if it would benefit me, save me money, save me time, give me more benefit. I just, is it worth the hassle of dealing with it? I was on the phone, a zoom call uh, two days ago with a guy who has been working on me for a year, a year. I didn't totally see enough value in it, but bigger than that, I just don't want to hassle. And I just told him that. So dude, I just, I, I hear you. I just don't want to hassle with it. Now he ultimately ended up showing me some value that I didn't understand. Now I want to do it, even though it's going to be a hassle. Now he also was able to show me some things that they can do that will make it less of a hassle. But we have people who have so much decision fatigue and, uh, and, and fear of, is this really the good deal that I tend to find myself in the sales position of hitting that head on saying, no matter what it is, I know that right now you would really just not rather have to deal with it. You got enough going on in your life. And so let me try to make it as simple as possible and to think through their eyes, to think about what are they going to do? So if there are, if there's the, the, the possibility, which are almost always is these days of comparison, let it do the comparison for them. Say, look, man, if I've got this set of Bridgestone tires, here's the comparable set of Michelin's, the comparable set of Dunlops, the comparable set. Here's where it is. This one's cheaper. This is why this one, you know, may last longer, but this is why. And tell them that now, and if you can't do that and showcase that yours is a better one, you got a bigger problem. Uh, understanding that you should be able to do that though, go ahead and do the homework for them. What can you do to make the decision easier? And Tom, what you just said, if they can give me a sense of urgency, talking about tires, you know, I'll do this. If I, if I go over to my tire place right now and say, yeah, I'm interested in it. The tires aren't too bad, but I'm just wondering if I should do them before winter. They will absolutely, now they know me. Unfortunately, I do way too much business with the amount of cars that we have over there. Um, they know me and they'll say, all right, Look, man, if you'll buy them today, we've got this one deal that ended a while ago, or, you know, this isn't one that we always do, but, you know, you're good. We'll do this and we'll, they'll give me some great deal, kind of like on the spot. And I will generally do it right. They gave me a reason to do, to urgency again, which is we've talked about this in the past. And I think people somewhat get burnt out because every offer people know that, that there's urgency, but that's the thing. If we don't have it, we generally will not make that 
decision. So we're back to value. I mean, ultimately in reading people's responses, Tom, we've got a bunch here that I'm not going to go through at this point, but it brings me back to the value. I'm going to hold this book up again. That one, whether it's secrets of closing the sale, which I think is the best one out there, but if not go learn sales, we've got to learn sales. This is, uh, this is the consummate thing where we think that, you know, either you're a salesperson or you're not, uh, if, that the value should, should sell itself. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't. And you're going to get beat out by somebody who has lesser value, lesser character, lesser moral morals than you. And they're going to sell it to them because they've at least done the work of understanding how to help people overcome their real and perceived obstacles. And we need to do that. Again, I go back to your story, uh, you know, Tom, that you told earlier of thank goodness that that person had the understanding to, to show that the lights person to showcase somebody the value, the real value and cost of something. And again, I don't know that everybody has a premium product, whatever you are, there is a way for you to address this and get people past those obstacles. Yep. So let me, let me just share with everybody. There's five reasons that people don't buy. And so whatever your objection you get, it's going to fall into one of these reasons. No need, no want, no hurry, no money, and no trust. And the biggest of these is trust. Mm -hmm. And so when they say the price is too high, that's a money, that's a money objection because they don't see the value and the money and what you're, what you're saying the price is for what they're getting. Okay. No need, no want. Uh, gosh, if, if, if it's a, if it's a luxury item or if it's something that doesn't, doesn't, isn't required to go about life, if they don't want it, that that's a hard thing uh, to, to overcome. And so you've got to know, do they want it? We have a saying, let's, let's sell them what they want and give them what they need. Right. And so a lot of times a buyer will come in and they'll say, Hey, I really, really want this. And so in a scale of problems, they've identified one problem that needs to be addressed, but they've got such a bigger problem over here, but they don't see it. So I would rather sell them what they want and then package in what they really need. Right. Because yeah. that's, that's a better, but the biggest of these is trust. And so anything that's substantial in an investment, you've got to, you've got to get this trust piece going on. And so I want to tell a sales story that wraps all that in and is a fantastic process. I was uh, in the sales team at, at Ziegler. This is like, gosh, 25 years ago. And this guy calls in and he says, Tom, I'm, I'm number one on my sales team. I figured out the secret. And I go, okay, what do you do? So he was selling high-end copiers. So $100,000 copying machine complexes for big businesses. And he is, the team had 150 people on it that he was working for. And he said, I've always been in the middle, but this year I'm number one. I figured out the secret. I go, what is it? He goes, I haven't, the year's halfway over. I can't tell you the secret until I finish number one. So I'll never forget. We made an appointment. He called me back uh, at the end of the year. He finished number one. He said, Tom, here's the secret. My uh, sale is a three call close. And, and, he, and so what that means is he says, I go into the prospect's uh, business. I look at all their needs, what they're currently using. I talk to the staff. What do they like? What don't they like about it? So that's call number one. Call number two is I invite all the users and the lead and the manager who's going to run this 
department to come to our facility and we give them a test drive on our different models. And we show them the features, functions, and benefits of each one. And we kind of steer them towards the one that we think is the best fit. And then the third call close is I come into their conference room and I present to usually their, uh, their CPA or their, their, you know, their CFO, uh, the, the VP of that division and the, and the office manager who's gonna be responsible for that equipment. But here's the secret. And so everybody, this is a secret in sales. He goes, we always get the same five uh, objections. Every time we go in, it's the same five objections. And each client, the order is a little bit different. And he said, so in all my relationship, I'm asking questions that help me to understand which one of those objections is the most likely to come up. Okay. So that's number one. Do you know the objections you always get? And do you have a professional practiced yes. uh, response to that? He said, then when I do my presentation, I, I overcome those objections before they bring them up. So let's just say that the best fit for this client is the deluxe model, and it's 10% higher than anything else on the market. The first thing out of your mouth is, hey, our solution is, I'm just going to tell you right up front, you guys need our deluxe model, and it is, it is the nicest one on the market. In fact, uh, you've probably already checked it out. It's 10% higher than our competitors' top of the line. So I want to share with you right now why the value is there, okay? And so instead of them saying the price is too high at the end and having to overcome it, yeah. he builds it up. So that's what he did. And then here's the number three. And he said, but the real secret to this is I get to the appointment an hour early on the closing call instead of 30 minutes early. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, when I go in to do my final presentation, I'd always get to the client's office 30 minutes early. I would go into their conference room, set it all up. He said, now I get there an hour early and I have Zig's Secrets of Closing the Cell audio cassette. So this is back in the day of cassette tapes. And he said, I, I, I know the objections they're going to have. And so I actually listened to Zig overcome those objections on the audio cassette while I'm reading from the underlying pages in the book, Secrets of Closing the Sale. Hmm. And so what he is doing is he's putting into his mind the, maybe one of the greatest speakers, salesperson, uh, communicators in the history of the world He's rehearsing what he's going to say and do before he even goes in there. And so when they throw the objections out, he's got it immediately. And so if you are in the business of selling something that has significant money or significant impact, I'm going to challenge you. What if for the month of December, what if you said, I'm going to have the best month I've ever had? And the way I'm going to do it is I am going to build a relationship which creates trust. And then I'm going to ask questions, which is going to uncover their most likely objection. And then I'm going to read and listen to Zig Ziglar right before I go into that meeting to talk to him about it, specifically around those areas. Do you think that'll have an impact in your career? I think so. 
I think so. I mean, this comes back. I was yesterday. I did a show with a guy and talked about Zig as a speaker and that people just think he was just born that way. And of course, what we know is he was one of the greatest students of the skill of speaking that ever walked the planet. And his results showcase that. And so, yeah, here with selling again, and this is selling is influencing. And if we want to influence, I need the same stuff when I talk with my kids as I did today about some new rules around limited screen usage. How's that for a sale? And, and, it's a, and it's a bigger sale because I want their buy-in. I literally ended it and said, guys, I want to know what you think. If it doesn't feel right to you, let's talk. And uh, while we're texting or while we're, while we're doing this here, I saw some texts come through from the, I only have one kid left who hasn't agreed, left who hasn't agreed. And I bet he will. But it's, I, I, I did my homework. I presented it in the right way. And I think I've influenced them well. And most of all, I have their trust. Uh, it's so powerful, Tom. Such a powerful thing. Well, guys, again, I know we started off with this issue of, you know, when somebody says no, you're not going to overcome that specific uh, decision of theirs, but you can help them make a different decision based on things that you're going to only know if you study the craft of selling. And I think it's, as, as Zig said, and not, not only is everybody in sales, but we all need to be, we want to be in sales if we're doing it the right way. Tom, man, always a gift. Love hearing the stories. I always hear something I haven't, uh, I haven't known. And, and I need them repeated over and over and over, just like we ended with. Thanks, brother. That's right. We don't need to be told, but we do need to be reminded. reminded. Amen. Well, there's a strong class on a primary issue with sales, and we can't stress it enough. We are all in sales. It's called influence. And if we don't have any influence, we can't help many people. Coming up in episode 839, I am back with John Bevere to talk about the healthy habits and routines he relies on to support his life, his work, his calling. His new book is titled X, Multiply Your God-Given Potential, and this was much the focus of our talk, how John personally strives to multiply his own God-given potential through the day-to-day goings-on of life. Till then, folks, thanks as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 